The Legacy of John Williams Celebrating the music and the art of Maestro John Williams Hello and welcome. I am Maurizio Caschetto, editor of The Legacy of John Williams. I am happy to present you a new installment of the LA Studio Legends series on The Legacy of John Williams podcast. My guest today is composer, pianist and keyboardist Randy Kerber. Randy Kerber is one of the most accomplished and talented musicians working in the film, television and recording industry. As a studio musician, he worked as pianist and keyboardist on hundreds of projects for many legendary recording artists and film composers, including numerous films with John Williams. Randy started playing synthesizer and keyboards for the maestro in the late 1980s and early 90s on such films as Home Alone, Hook and Jurassic Park. The maestro chose him as the featured piano soloist on the lyrical score for Angela's Ashes. Many other projects followed. In 2001, Randy played the now-iconic Celeste solo Hedwig's theme in the first Harry Potter film. And subsequently was again piano soloist in The Terminal, Lincoln and The Book Thief. In addition to his career as a studio musician, Randy worked as orchestrator for such top Hollywood film composers as James Horner and John Powell. He's also an accomplished composer for film and television. He wrote music and songs for the Netflix series The Eddie, produced by Damien Chazelle. And composed also a lovely lyrical score for the short film Cello, 
starring the late cellist Lynn Harrell. conversation, Randy talks about his career and his many years of collaboration with John Williams, including his solos on Harry Potter, Angela's Ashes and The Book Thief, offering his own precious insight about the maestro's musicianship and his many collaborations with him. So happy to have you here on The Legacy of John Williams. I'm happy to be here, Maurizio. Thanks for having me. I always said this to, to, to many of my guests, but you really were really high on my list because you are still one of the key musicians, collaborators of John Williams, and you played on so many of his scores as pianist and keyboardist. So I guess you have a lot of insight to share, not just in terms of stories, but also in terms of musicianship, which is one of the key focus of, of my podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. So, But before uh, talking about your John Williams um, collaborations, I would like to... to touch briefly upon your musical upbringing. So when did you become basically a musician, a professional musician? And, you know, did it all start with piano lessons when you were a kid, like everyone else? Yeah, well, actually, it started, I'll say it started before the piano lessons. It started with accordion lessons. Funny backstory. Um, so there was an accordion teacher who was going around the neighborhood, you know, asking parents if they want their children to take accordion lessons. And I was maybe five five and a half, something like that. And they said, yeah, you want to, you, you should try accordion lesson. Sure. So he went to this guy's house and he had other little kids there all with big accordions. And um, we're sitting in a semi-circle and we're, uh, we have music in front of us. And uh, he was telling us, uh, we put this finger on this note and we play this and we do and we push and pull and all of this and I was so bad at it I was like there would parents were sitting in just the the room next door and they would clap he would he encouraged the parents to applaud when the children did well well I never got applause I I was terrible and in fact I I had a very hard time reading music which is funny because I kind of have made my studio career of, with the, the fact that I read music so well, but I guess it was not destined for me to be an accordionist, basically. <laughs> so I gave up the accordion. I don't want to do it anymore. I just, he just kept yelling at me and everyone else was getting applause. So I, um, <laughs> we gave that up and I started taking piano lessons with a, a teacher named Stephen Gordon, who was a concert pianist. He did a lot of stuff on the community concert circuit. And, um, and he was my one and only teacher from when I was six to when I was 18. Mm. And it was all classical music. So I started with Bach and went to Haydn and went to Beethoven and uh, 
wound up in Chopin and Rachmaninoff and uh, all of the Debussy and uh, all of the standard repertoire really that one does. The one thing that was interesting was that his um, way he taught, he kind of encouraged playing etudes and not playing, uh, for example, Czerny and uh, Hannon, which were big exercises. Yes. Uh, you know, that everybody did. And I didn't do because my teacher said, no, you're going to play etudes. So I was like playing Chopin etudes and playing. And that's where he felt I should get my uh, technique from was from repertoire, not from uh, this repetitive kind of uh, exercise. Anyway, he came from the Russian school. He was a, a, a student of Sergei Tarnovsky, who was a student of Prokofiev. So I came from that kind of Russian um, background as far as the teaching method went, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, so you basically wanted to become a concert pianist back then, or were you trying just to lead your? your I just way? loved, I loved playing the piano, and I wanted to do more, and I really loved reading music also, and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't think I was practicing enough to become a concert pianist at that time. It was very <laughs> difficult to get me to practice. Yeah, <laughs> I liked. In fact, I would go to my lesson and my. Uh, a lot of times, the teacher would just like, well, he didn't practice this week. It was like that, and but then. What started happening was I would go to my lesson and I didn't practice, but I was reading and my dad would ask, how did he do? He goes, well, he obviously practiced this week. He did. He did really well. And my dad was puzzled because he knew that I really didn't practice. So what I was doing was I was going to my lesson and reading and sight reading like very quickly. I mean, I learned to sight read very, very, very quickly. So um, it's kind of built for the studios in that way. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, that's the, that was the story of my my piano uh, lessons. Yeah, and also I, I, from what I gather from from your bio that I fi find on your website, also you started to play professionally very young as a, as a studio player. So yeah. basically, that that was your leading into into the career as a studio musician. So yeah, it's true. St starting very very young. As a, as a kid, basically, you were like 18, 19 years old and started to play with these huge names of the industry, yeah. like Beth Midler and even yep. Don Ellis. And, yep. and, and there's a curious John Williams connection there because I found a credit on an old album of Don Ellis, which is called Star Wars and Music from Other Galaxies. You were <laughs> keyboardist yeah. on that album playing strange kind of jazz funk arrangements of Star Wars music by Don Ellis. <laughs> I think it was my first record date that I ever did. My wow. first album was that Star Wars, and which is an interesting uh, portent into the into my future career. Yes. steps into that world of great studio playing where so you were starting to have being so young and being so exposed also to some of the greats that were already playing over there so how was your the impact with with that environment for you 
I mean, I was very excited. I really was. Well, I see, I grew up, my, my best friend in junior high and high school was Ted Nash. Mm-hmm. Ted Nash is a really well-regarded um, saxophonist and composer. He was played with the Lincoln Center, you know, the Wynton Marsalis' Lincoln Center Orchestra, like for maybe 25 20 to 25, 30 years. Ted moved to New York. His father is Dick Nash. That's a trombonist. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I grew up going to their house in junior high. Um, Dick was doing sessions all over the place. He was working for John Williams. He was working for Henry Mancini. He had that. We listened to his records. We played jazz. Ted and I learned to play jazz. I used to jam with Dick. So I was growing up in kind of around a studio family and another family was um another friend was doug schwartz who's a very good um great um, remastered engineer yeah exactly yeah yeah. but his father was willie schwartz and willie schwartz was also a very famous woodwind player in the studios in the 60s 70s 80s so um i grew up around these two families and so i had a i was wanting to uh, work in the studios from when i first saw that when i went to a visit a session Wow. And another interesting connection was the fact that you were among the, also the plethora of composers that worked on The Color Purple by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you got an Academy Award nomination actually for that. because I it, did. You, you work also as a composer. You know? and, and that is also another interesting thing that you were also trying to, to make your own way a, a, as a composer as well, other than being just I was, a, a city player. I was, I was early on, but I kind of got beaten up early on by, uh, by a producer. Um, and I felt I just, uh, my ego was damaged. Uh, my, the score ended up, the score ended up being in the movie, but I, he basically said, if I had time, I would re-record, I would re, I would redo the music and blah, 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 you know? And I just, um, I found that playing in the studios as a sideman, as a musician was safer as far as my ego went, um, for that. But the color purple, Jerry Hay, great, trumpet player and arranger and he was a friend and he brought me into the color purple because he had been working with Quincy Jones for many yes. years and um on the Michael Jackson stuff and everything so um Jerry brought me in and we composed these pieces together and I orchestrated and I uh, conducted actually at Sony with uh Steven Spielberg and Quincy in the booth when I was <laughs> I think 27 talk about pressure <laughs> yeah <laughs> And that was the first movie that he did without John doing the score, actually. So I guess there was a lot of pressure on that one. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> there were a lot of great people working on that. Joel Rosenbaum and uh, Calandrelli and Chris Boardman and, other, you know, some, some really great. Also, yeah, yeah, some fantastic composers. Jeremy right? Lubbock. 
Yeah. Brilliant. And Fred Steiner, I think he did some. Yes, cues. Fred Steiner. Yeah. It was interesting. There was one cue that was a Christmas cue in the color purple. And Fred Steiner, I was in the booth with Joe Rosenbaum. We were just hanging out. We're listening to his music. And there was one part that was solo cello and solo bassoon. And the combination of these two together, it's so funny. And Joe Rosenbaum looked at me. I'm, I like have this quizzical look in my face. And Joe Rosenbaum looks at me. He goes, and he said, solo cello, solo bassoon makes a tenor sax. It sounds just like a tenor saxophone. It's wow. crazy. That's the other great thing. This is a great story because it really puts the the spotlight about how much you you can learn on the ground, actually. And that's basically, I guess, how it was for, for John Williams himself. I mean, uh, we know he, he studied at Juilliard as a pianist, of course, and he had a great uh, training background, of course. But, but a lot of what he learned, he learned really on the spot by working with, with Alfred Newman and Bernard Herrmann and Dimitri Tiomkin and all those giants yes. that, from whom he got so, so much, I guess. And, and, and talking about John Williams, of course, let's try to, to reconstruct your career with him. I mean, I think the, the first movie I found that you did with John was always, and correct me if I'm wrong, in which you are, you are credited as a synth programmer. I think together with Ralph Grierson, who back then was starting to work more as a synthesis for John, other than being just yeah. pianist. And that was Ralph's. That was Ralph's choice. Ralph decided, as I'm sure he's told you, he he had done so much piano and such a brilliant pianist, and he just really wanted to enjoy creating sound and creating, you know, these new pastiches of uh, of, of color beyond the piano. Um, actually, the first movie I did with John was Born on the Fourth of July. Wow. Wow. As a synthesis, again. Synthesis. Yeah. yeah. A lot of synthesizer for me. Wow. So, so that, that, that is interesting because I think uh, you, Mike Lang, and I think Chet Swiatkowski also was playing more as uh, a mm -hmm. pianist back then, but yes. also doing synth work as well. So how, what were your first impression by working with John in those movies, in those first movies? I mean, how, how it, got, it went for you? I mean, did you just ended up calling, being called by the contractor saying, come up to this session, there's a John Williams score being recorded and, and that's it? Yeah, I was, yeah, it was being called by Sandy DeCrescent, who mm -hmm. was the con contractor for John, has been for many years. She said, you're playing synthesizers, so bring your rig, your rack, your whatever they called it in those days, something like that. So I brought all my stuff. And the interesting thing was, it, John, he wanted to record there was a there was a scene in the movie that was kind of a um, a far out scene where i think the character might have been um, under a drug uh, induced by drugs or something like that so john wanted to he wanted to record some he wanted like some voices like happening so basically i took i had it was an akai s900 sampler it's a 12 12 bit sampler that was back in the day in my rack and I we plugged the microphone into it and John actually like said some he he said some words you know and things and then I met, I created you know with a delay and stuff like this we made kind of a trippy kind of thing but it's actually him um speaking on it. I don't know if we can hear this anywhere in the score or where it is but I liked the fact that he was like so really interested and very hands-on you know I I don't know how you do all this stuff but but can we do you know like he's always searching and always interested and always um, open. Mm -hmm. 
that's a side that I think many people don't know about John. I mean, his way of working with electronics. I mean, he, of course, he always writes uh, symphonically, even when he uses electronics. But mm-hmm. but there's a way that he really experiments with that. I mean, the scores that you, you mentioned, I mean, always and, and, and born on the 4th of July, you know, besides having great orchestral pieces, also has these beautiful textures where he goes really ethereal in, in many ways. And, and, and that became a part of his sound as well. Was always the movie with, um, with uh, Audrey Hepburn? Yes. Okay. Because John had made, he kind of, he made a reference when Ralph and I were coming out with these sounds. He said he made a reference kind of to, I think he actually said like massage music, like music that you, <laughs> you know, I mean, or somebody did. But it was like, because it was these very beautiful kind of dreamy sounding, you know, I mean, sounds that Ralph and I came up with for that movie. a way to, to communicate I mean I, I guess other composers are much more uh, can we say specific maybe with the type of electronic sound that they want to achieve I mean he wouldn't a lot of times on my on my music he would it would say synth voice and other synthesizer players that were working with him at the time or who might have been on the session with me or something would like think he means a, a human voice and I'm like no 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 he's just he's just saying a synthetic voice of some kind that yes. so I always I always listened to what I was playing with because a lot of times I would be doubling an oboe or doubling a flute or doubling or, or something and I just made orchestrational choices as far as the timbre of the sound what would blend well with because he just wanted to create this a little you know like his brilliant use of woodwind pairings when he'll use an English horn and an alto flute and clarinet Yeah. And then so you have this beautiful combination and you can't you can't, don't really hear the clarinet, but it's in, you know, it's like this kind of. So I tried to do that yes. with the synthesizer stuff, too. So it just blends and it's not drawing so much attention to itself, but just adding.
it was my my friend. I, I think you know him too, uh, the great record producer Mike Matesino, who does a lot of remastering of John Williams' scores over the years. And he told yeah. me about uh, in Jurassic Park, for example, there's mm-hmm. a hell lot of electronics doubling the orchestral uh, score. I mean, it's a it's lot. great. And, and he told me about that since the movie has been prepared to be performed live in concert with the picture going on and the orchestra playing live, that he had to recover the original synth track that was uh, recorded for the movie because to, to blend it well with the orchestra and that's even, even the great cue with the dinosaur with the brachiosaurus mm-hmm. uh, with the, the huge piece of music that everyone remembers has a, a synth doubling going on underneath yeah yeah it's true i was doubling i was doubling a lot of stuff often How it was for you turning from the synth to the piano for for John? I mean, it's so funny. Oh my god, <laughs> the story, the story. Okay, so I've I've been playing synthesizers for John. I mean, I started with him, and Chet Swiatkowski was playing piano. Before that, it was Ralph Grierson playing piano, and then Chet Swiatkowski was playing piano. And I was always synth. I was always synth. It was I would just show up with my synth rack whenever I had dates booked with John Williams. So. I get a call for Angela's Ashes at Sony and I send my synths and they have it set up next to right perpendicular, my main keyboard perpendicular to the piano, the grand piano at Sony. And the grand piano is in concerto position. I mean, it's just, it's right by the, it's right in front of the podium. I mean, and so John wasn't there yet, but Ken Womberg was there, John's music editor for forever. Yeah. And Ken, and I said, Kenny, what's, uh, and I saw that there were a lot of piano solos and I couldn't really find a lot of synths. Stuff. I said, who's, who's playing piano? And he said, you are baby. <laughs> wow. I was like, okay. Again, talk about pressure. <laughs> and it was like, I didn't see this stuff ahead of time. It was all the piano solos from Angela's ashes, you know, but I, so I was like, okay, cool. Great. <laughs> and that was also the first movie, movie where John used um, Simon Rhodes uh, as an engineer.
I talk also with with、uh, Steve Erdodi, the the great cellist, who has、yeah. who has a few solos as well playing. Yeah. Either with you, or, but also he said me that John sometimes went to the piano and play some of the music himself. Yeah, it's true. It's true.、Wow. He did.、Wow. It was funny with John too because on other movies after that, there would be several pianists. That, like maybe Gloria was there,、yes. and Mike Lang was there, and I was there, and he was like. What would it sound like if you played it, Mike? What a, how Gloria? Now, how would you? It's like he. It was like it felt. It felt a little scary and odd, and a little bit like on the spot, like we're we're competing against each other. But he was really curious to see another person's interpretation of the same material,、mm. which is always great for a composer to hear. Anyway, when you hear. You know, different orchestras playing the same material, different groups that you for playing your same material. It's it's fascinating for a composer、yes. to hear. You know, like this. The fact that you are a pianist and a composer, and and John is too. I mean,、uh, so that that score, for example, is very pianistic, very piano laden. Of course,、uh, you have an absurd amount of of, of piano solos all throughout.、Uh, but I mean, how it was for you? To, does he speak to you in terms as a piano player, or more as a composer? He just let you go free and do. Your take, and he doesn't say anything, because lots of other musicians told me that he he doesn't speak too much about specifically the style、no. or the sound. No, he doesn't. The only thing that he'll tell that he that he has said on many occasions, and I've heard him say it to Ralph, and I've heard him say it to me, and, and Mike, and everyone, and he would say maybe a little more flat fingered, a little more flat fingered. I mean, and I'm not exactly sure because they always they tell you as a pianist, you know, you you you. Curve, you curve your fingers. You when you play, you look a little more flat-fingered. Maybe meant a little more legato, a little more jugi. I don't know how to put it. You know, it's like a little less,、uh, less exact, less, less technical sounding. A little more, you know, maybe concentrating more on the fra- the whole phrase. 
but that that, that was a term yeah. that he uses um as far as no exact things not really or you could take a little more time with that baby or you could you know i mean it's just it's it very little said Does he ever use uh, references? Maybe like you know, play play like uh, maybe and maybe say a great other pianist or other great composer. Because sometimes I saw, I think it was Mike, I think who told me about a piece that he had to play back in one of the Indiana Jones movies. There was a kind of source piece played for solo piano. And it was written in the style of Vernon Duke. So I, I guess if sometimes he asks for those kind of things, like let's recreate that kind of atmosphere. Does he ever use his references like that? Well, I mean, he like on um, the terminal, we had a piece on the album. It is not in the movie, but it's called Jazz Autographs. Yes. And this was this was tributes to many different pianists. Jimmy Rolls, Art Tatum. Uh, they were all like, and he would say, this is here's this Jimmy Rolls here, and this is so and so, and this is so. I don't remember all the names, but I'd like yeah. it would be kind of nice. It would be kind of cool if he had it on the score, you know, like just in in quotes, you know, yeah. who each of the pianists is, because that was very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, this theme is absolutely beautiful, and and I love when it comes to the strings uh, with those rich harmonies. Uh, it, it almost sounds like a throwback to David Raxin and Bad and the Beautiful, you know, that kind of thing.
you ever find uh, uh, the John Williams style of writing for the piano? Does he has a specific style for writing for the instrument according to your experience or he's very much more, I mean, based on the uh, requirements of the movie that he ch maybe changes the way he writes for the instrument? I mean, I think he's he draws on all of his background, which is so diverse. I, I don't think he has a specific, I mean, there might be some things that, that show up, maybe some voicings, maybe some close, some of the close harmonies and things like that, that he, that he likes that feel good in his hands. I don't think I find it very diverse. Um, I mean, I, Ralph could tell you about ET and that, you know, amazing piano part that he wrote that was kind of Chopin, you know, the left hand is very Chopin-esque. Mm -hmm. um, uh, almost like an etude in a way. Um, brilliant. He said many times that he writes at the piano. So that, mm -hmm. that's where the music comes at first for him. So I guess, but his music is pianistic in a way, but then it moves, also, of course, toward expanding into the great orchestral uh, palette that he has at his, at his disposal. But everything for him, I guess it's even tactile. As, a, as, a, as an approach. I don't know how it works for him because you know it's different for any composer. And I think in some, in some way, I think it's even great that it remains kind of a mystery. We don't have to, you know, to find all the explanations and it's beautiful yeah. that it's still a mystery. But, but do you think that uh, he writes pianistically in this regard from your perspective or, or does he write as if he's a pianist actually? I think that... I think the music comes to him through the piano just because this is his voice from when he was little. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think he's, he's connected to the orchestra. So I think at the same time and maybe simultaneously as the music is coming to him, he's also hearing it for this is going to, this will be horns. This will be, I think it all is happening probably at the same time mm -hmm. for him, which is fascinating to think about. Yes, yes, and also the way he writes. I mean, the the way he sketches his music. I mean, it it's not a sketch, really. We we, we cannot call it a sketch. It's more like a, a shorthand, a shorthand yeah. score where where everything basically is there. Of course, maybe the orchestrator sometimes has some more latitude to for the doublings or stuff like that. But it's really a very clear mind at work. For me. I mean, I'm not a composer, so I. I cannot pretend to uh, to understand <laughs> how he thinks, but but it seems to me just looking at the music that he has a very clear sense of, of the line, the way the instruments are integrated, and and it always sounds so so natural. I mean, it doesn't never sounds like forced, even when he's intentionally maybe referencing some other styles or some specific other vernacular in the music mm -hmm. but but it's very very clear it's never sound it's never sounds uh, forced i mean i don't know if, if you get what i what i mean yeah it's, it's true there's a there's a sense of ease mm. um with all of it and um and not rushed he's a master of time in many different ways um and this is the thing that most impresses impresses me i think about him or what i take away from his is his mastery of time not only time with with the way you present the music against the movie but also uh time in when he rehearses the orchestra the time that is taken with getting a piece up and running and recorded and then move on mm. his time when you speak to him on the phone depending on what you're talking about he's very in command of his time 
and what is sufficient for to get the job done. Whatever the job is, if it's a phone call, if it's rehearsing the orchestra, if it's writing the music for a scene, also time in his day and yeah. how much he spends and what he needs to get done on that day to keep to to stay on track with the movie that the job that he has. His mastery of time He's he's a he's a Jedi master of time. Absolutely, <laughs> it's really fun because uh, I I spoke recently with, with Sarah Willis, the the, the hornist. Oh yeah, we, we we recorded the podcast together. Oh good. And and he told me this very fascinating story about the, the rehearsal in Berlin. And the orchestra was kind of amazed about because John has the studio time even when he's rehearsing for a concert. And and the orchestra isn't used. You know, the Berlin Philharmonic isn't used at that kind of intensity in terms of yeah. when when he's rehearsing. So and, yeah. and that's speaks i guess volumes about his his attitude as a musician and his musicianship his his and also demanding well his i don't want to say demanding because he doesn't doesn't feel like that coming from him but demanding attention from the musicians um not only to him at the podium but he'll make comments like he wants no matter what you have to play you need to be attentive and present and um, giving your all to it. Like he'll say, he, I remember him saying to the violas, don't let those half notes uh, move into, um, into I, he didn't say boredom, but he said, um, but just like he wants, even if you have the simplest part, give it life, give it like stay present with it and, and move forward within, stay in the music. Don't just like, nah, nah, nah. Being in your comfort zone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And he likes to write, the harder, the better. He's like, he loves to do this. He's even said, the harder, the better. When yeah. I did something for him, I, I wrote um, the football themes. Uh, I did arrangements of his NBC football theme for the new, you know, they wanted... Um, to refresh the, the stuff. Refresh the, yeah, the stuff for Monday Night Football, I think it was. And um, he was asking me, how's it going with the football stuff? I said, oh, good, but this might be kind of hard. He, he touched me on the arm. He said, the harder, the better. I was like, okay, <laughs> yes. yeah. That'll keep people engaged in what they're doing. Absolutely, yes.
speaking of, of uh, style of playing, I mean, uh, you had so many solos in other movies other than the, the one we mentioned. And I'm thinking about uh, Lincoln, for example, mm -hmm. who have beautiful 19th century style of, of writing, very Americana, but very uh, kind of antique. Uh, or The Book Thief, where you, again, you went into kind of Chopin-like territory and, and, and I guess, and very exposed because there's, Lots of really soul piano writing over there. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that he really pushes you in exploring even styles where, where maybe that you are not super comfortable in, or or everything is just natural with him? And the way he writes is, you know, you you never feel like it's difficult for for to to pull out the the, the performance. I mean, the book thief stuff was. I just needed it. To be very even sounding and very effortless. And I didn't want to, because it was technically, there were some, there were some very, it wasn't tricky. It was just, it needed to be very even and, uh, and kind of effortless so I could make music with it instead of it sounding too technical. Mm -hmm. But I had, pra I had practiced a bunch before I, I was ready. I was ready for that one. Even Gloria, <laughs> Gloria, Gloria was there and Gloria said, Oh, you sound like you've been practicing. I was like, <laughs> yeah, because usually I just go in and I wing it. Um, yeah, yeah, I like to and do that, that too. But I mean, that's how studio musicians do. I mean, you just, as Dan Higgins told me, you are the Navy SEALs of the music business. <laughs> <laughs> you arrive at the studio and you do your job and you basically, yeah, do everything that is required. And then at the end of the day, you go home and that's it. <laughs> right. And if we don't, then we don't get called back the next time. And that's the end of our SEAL, our Navy SEAL career. <laughs> yeah. Thief is very. I think it's one of the one of the most fascinating because it comes in this late phase of John's career. In, it sounds very autumnal in a way, mm. but it also there is this youthful element, and he seems to be very much in touch with that youthful spirit. That also in the movie, of course, it was important because it was the story of this little girl uh, surviving through the horrors of the of the war, and there's a, an Italian 
pianist friend of mine. Maybe you know him. It's, he's called Simone Pedroni. He's an excellent Italian pianist. I know of him, and I know him. We may even be friends on Facebook now that I think about it, actually. Yeah. He recorded an entire album of uh, piano solo arrangements done by himself, wow. uh, except for The Book Thief, which is one of the very few occasions where John uh, sat down and, and wrote a, a piano reduction himself based on the score's themes. And, and Simone told me this very beautiful way that for him, John's music is very tied to the childhood. I mean, the, the inner childhood. And the fact that the music sounds so effortless is basically because he's able to go deep down into his soul and finding that core that still maybe excites him as when he was back a kid, maybe listening to his favorite music and the favorite composers. So how it is for you? Do you think John's music has a youthful spirit even today? Uh, definitely, definitely that. I was thinking also it has a, there's an in, intimacy. There's a, there's a, a naivete there's that, that comes with, um, with youth also, you know, there, um, and I hear that in his music. I like, yeah, Book Thief also, little movies like book thief uh angela's ashes accidental tourist yes, uh beautiful. they're not meant to be big orchestral symphonic sounding they and these little chamber pieces you know chamber scores that he writes um if you will mm -hmm. uh, i love that part of him because it it's not like well, they go oh yeah you know the big john williams thing it's like it, there isn't just that yes um, yeah, there aren't amazing. just marches. I mean, there are these amazing, <laughs> like naive, you know, gorgeous, like from Hook, even in Hook. And there's a there's a gorgeous piece of music that has to do with the lost mother. I mean, of a child, yes. you know, and, yes. and 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 I mean, it couldn't be stated any more beautifully or or heartfelt or poignantly um, than he does. And that that's that's a part of his writing that I've always really, really enjoyed is that intimate, naive poignancy.
you put it very eloquently i think i, I really love that that bit you mentioned from hook i mean that there was this huge piano solo again um, playing the main theme like a lullaby in a way and it's not too dissimilar the way he wrote uh, subsequently for for ai which is another movie which has a score very very I think very unique for John because he played a lot with with this new maybe more minimalistic kind of style of writing like more mm -hmm. like Steve Reich or or John Adams, Adams. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but it's it makes that vernacular his own it's not just like aping a style it's, it's just the way he is able to absorb all these different strains from the history whole history of music we can say uh, or yeah. catch me, uh, catch me if you can. Oh my God! I mean, the way he wrote uh, this very jazz-based score, but he also has this French atmosphere, yeah. like uh, um, you know, Jacques Ibert or yeah. early twentieth century music. So um, I always find it so unique, and I mean, it, 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 that's why you cannot put John into into a box or reduce him into a single thing. Of course, we will be remembered for his great symphonic scores mainly, but but there's a lot more. Yeah, everybody loves John Williams and, and the students that are coming up today, a lot of students in school, they want to write like John Williams. They want to, they, this is so, and you hear a lot of this kind of writing and the thing that it's, <laughs> the thing that it's missing and that you have to encourage young new composers to um, find is their voice because even, I want to say the canteen um, uh, scene with the band from Star Wars. If you look yes. at John's history and his dad, who played uh, drums with Raymond Scott, the the reference taken from his um, his father having played with the Raymond Scott group, um, you can hear that very distinctively in the um, cantina. So it isn't a it isn't a rip. It's it's. Um, it's his life experience. It's taken yes. from his life experience and yes. what he grew up with. His brilliant use of polyrhythms throughout the orchestra. You know, he grew up with a lot of drummers. His both his brothers are are percussionists. And both and his dad was a percussionist. I mean, John's. And here comes you know the the subject of time again. I mean, and how his focus on time and his uh, his amazing ability for all these rhythmic different rhythmic patterns. Um, coexisting in a piece um, within the orchestra, different polyrhythms. I, I just, I love that.
but anyway, I would say, you know, my, my initial point was really that a, a new composer needs to find his voice yes. and delve deep into his life and his life experience and what he, what was his, what were his first joys in music and the first things that he heard and the first things that really grabbed him, you know, her, or her, I should say, because this is clear in all of John's writing is like, it is truly his and anybody else trying to write like him, you're going to be missing a big component, which is, you know, a life history that goes along with the, the composer. Yeah. And, and even, even today, I mean, I, I think it was uh, for the recent violin concerto that he wrote for Anne-Sophie Mutter, mm -hmm. that again, he referenced uh, um, Claude Thornhill, the great pianist, composer of the 1920s, 30s that he, he grew up with. And he's still very fond of, he's still very much in touch with that. Again, with the, the, his childhood or youth experience and what is important for him, what, what he really is, he's really still fond of and and he's still coming up at 90 years old of age yeah. and, and it's a really a kind of a life lesson for, for 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 everyone i think and and speaking of of kids uh, we have to mention of course harry potter because it's a huge part of your music career with john uh, yeah. i mean you were one of the very few musicians who who traveled with john from la to to london to record those scores I mean, you were keyboardist for the first three Harry Potter films, and you had that I, now iconic, huge <laughs> Celeste solo. Mm -hmm. It is now known as Hedwig's theme. So, yeah. uh, but actually, it wasn't a real Celeste, right? It was a no. synth patch that you created specifically for John. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. What was the choice behind that concept? I mean, well, it started using a synthetic Celeste. Started with Home Alone the first movie, oh, wow. the first yeah. Home Alone. And that was, I used an emulator to Celeste sample that was taken, that Emil Richards had done. Famous, iconic percussionist legend, in the yes. film community. A legend, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not only in film, but in, in albums too. He played with the Rolling Stones, he <laughs> he did, uh, everybody. I had an emulator too, and John said, well, what would it be like if we don't play it on the real Celeste? What, what do you have that, so I played it on the synthetic and he found that he could place it. It wasn't going out into the room, although he wanted me to have my speaker on. And this was something that I always had, even on Jurassic Park, even with the big, he wants the speaker on in the room, just mm. so the orchestra can hear it, but also so it's moving through air in the room with the orchestra too, which I think like Like smart. a real instrument, yes. Yeah. So that was the first time that I used synthetic Celeste. And then and whenever it came up after that, I was using a Celeste sample. But for Hedwig's theme, it was a was a combination of of a Celeste uh, sample from a Celeste library. I don't remember which one now. Um, there was like 10% of a real Celeste or Celesta in the sound. And the other 90% pretty much was a sine wave or a triangle wave. It was a, it's basically, it's a waveform that is just the fundamental of a um, 
of a sound. It's just, it doesn't have any overtones on it or any harmonics on it. It yeah. is just the fundamental sound. So this, which sounds very bell-like, actually that sound, that sine wave or triangle wave sound is the sound that a uh, vibraphone makes, a uh, glockenspiel makes, a uh, celesta makes after the initial attack. Yes. That what, what you're left with, on, if you look at it on an oscilloscope, it's a sine wave or a triangle wave, but a very simple, you know, fundamental sound. So with that concept, I thought, okay, I'm going to use mostly that, but I'm going to have just the attack of a celesta. So it's kind of identifiable as that, identifiable as that instrument, but I'll be able to make the decay of the sound a little bit longer. So because it, there were these very long runs that go with the violins and I thought it would, it would be better than hearing from keys and you hear just this because this is what the violins are doing. makes a lot of sense also conceptually you know um, here we were talking about magic and this timbre really sounds like the magic dust that is being spreaded over this delicious musical bonbon you know something that sounds like from our world yeah but carried onto the, the one of the wizards uh, so it's a really really brilliant concept I mean, that was the idea behind that. And I just used a, it was a DX7 uh, synthesizer that I just used one operator on a DX7, which is a, they're, they're little sine wave generators that are, that you add them together and you, it's FM synthesis. But if you just use one, it's just a sine wave by itself. And and was it scary to see actually the actual music part? I guess in that Okay. Well, he said, you know what? He said, you might want to take a look at this. That's what he said ahead of time. I had a talk with him and he said, you might want to take a look at this. And I was in London at the time working on another movie. And I actually was in a, in my room was a small grand piano. I think it was a baby grand piano that was in a room at a little boutique hotel that I would stay at in London. And, um, and I practiced on, I practiced Hedwigstein on the piano and practiced it. Um, faster than what was indicated. 
just I thought with the with the um, weight of the piano keys, um, although I used a KX88 for my master keyboard um, when I played it in Harry Potter, which is still a weighted keyboard, but it's not a piano. And I thought, but practicing on a piano would give my fingers a good amount of strength playing this thing and I'd get used to it. And I had to work out all the choreography between the hands because it's uh, it's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yes. but, but by the time I got there, I knew the, I knew the piece well enough to where I was, the fear was kind of gone. And now I'm just, I'm going to be able to make music with it. Mm-hmm. Now, now the problems was for the violinists, I guess. <laughs> yeah, know those fast scales, and and somebody told me that now that the violin part is used by orchestras as a as a piece to audition to, piece. To, to, uh, yeah, as an audition piece. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's incredible if you think Love about that. it. And, and the fact again that John writes this very sophisticated music for for a kids movie, I always always find it fascinating. Even though it's of course very direct in in his uh, purpose, I mean, it's you hear the first notes of Hedwig's theme, and you not you not just think about Harry Potter, you just you think about magic in general, about the history of that kind of music writing that harkens back maybe to Tchaikovsky or to other great composers, the great history, and he's very able to reference that mythical musical past. That's it's kind of ingrained in all of us. And again, it's a way, and but he's able to do that because there there are musicians like you that are able to perform what he requires. <laughs> You went also to, with John to Chicago to do Lincoln. Mm-hmm. We mentioned mm-hmm. before the, and there's again a huge amount of piano solos in that score. I mean, and yeah, uh, and how, how it went that one? Was it recorded more like uh, more like in the concert environment, doing maybe longer pieces, maybe differently than than he does in LA, or is uh, again? No, we recorded stuff? it the same way. We just recorded it in the hall. Hmm. in Chicago and with the orchestra everything was there um Sean Murphy came he was there I was set up in the back um we did did them as cues as they appear on the album uh, mm-hmm. just like that mm-hmm. and again then that regard I mean was the the style of the playing and the, of the piano solos already baked in into the way he wrote the music I mean or did he had to uh, tell you something about maybe more the the more nineteenth century kind of style that he brought for that score. Again, no, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> <laughs> no. There wasn't any. There wasn't any reference to the background from it or anything like mm. that. It just um, he would just tell me maybe you know you could take a little more time here or you could do you know or this is a little more declarative here you know if he wants a little more point given to an individual yeah. phrase or something like that. But it's the same that he would say to any instrumentalist really in the orchestra, um, nothing specifically pianistic or in reference to it.
he let the musicians uh, free to bring their own element to it. So I think yeah. that's the way. And the fact that most of the time he writes music with some specific players already in mind, so he doesn't need to to explain much. I mean, I guess it's for him. It's just the way he he does. I mean, it's the way he is for for him. one of the few uh, LA musicians who went with John to London also to record Star Wars you, you were with him doing synth work or keyboard I work. was actually I was actually the only musician who went I think um yeah. Sean Sean Murphy went of course yes and Ken Womberg went and then it was Ramiro oh Bill Ross went for uh Harry Potter to conduct yes uh, Harry the Potter second, uh, the second the, one the second one yes yeah and 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 how it that worked out? I mean, why why John wanted you to have it on his side to to perform? It wasn't I wasn't playing piano. I was playing synthesizer, and he wanted and he needed he needed that extra sound and texture, and uh, because he had gotten very comfortable writing for it and used to having me there. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't want to toot my own horn. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> I just I know it makes him feel. You know, he's. He's, he would say, well, I have to have Randy, which was kind of crazy to me because I, yeah, I mean, I add synth elements to this stuff and sounds, it makes sense on Harry Potter, of course, because it's a main, you know, it's a featured voice, but for the Star Wars stuff, he still wanted me there. I don't know. So I was happy to be there. <laughs> but you played also harpsichord and I think the beautiful love theme from episode two. Yeah, but it's not on a harpsichord. It's on a. It's a synthesized. Uh, yeah, like like in ten yeah. ten. Also, you did ten ten. And also ten ten. Yeah, exactly. And that's not a. That was a piano tech. I'm using uh, one of the harpsichord. It's actually not even a sampled harpsichord. It's a um, modeled version of a harpsichord. Thank you. 
that score, I mean, 1010, and, and also and Harry Potter 3, the one that you uh, synth, you, you played also synth harpsichord in Harry Potter 3, the, the third one, Azkaban, where this, this crazy uh, Renaissance-style Baroque piece where he writes this little children choir with the harpsichord going on underneath. And it, I mean, it seems like John can go really all over the place stylistically. <laughs> he used to use, I mean, there was actually, he would use harpsichord on some of the jazz stuff that he did back, you know, um, for some of the albums. I mean, there would be jazz harpsichord, like big wow. like punches on harpsichord. Um, and some of the early, I mean, as early, I think even as early as, uh, is Penelope one of his early uh, yeah, mid -60s, movies, I think. Yeah, even the, the theme from Penelope has a harpsichord in it. And he did that. I mean, fantastic recording. Uh, it was a jazz album that he did all the arrangements called the Rhythm Emotions. Oh, okay. he had. He also had Vince De Rosa playing horn, but it's all crazy jazz arrangements of uh, Gershwin, Jerome Kern, and but it's arranged in this very creative way with percussion, yeah. cowbells, even harpsichord. It's. I mean, it's crazy if you think about it, and where, where the breadth of of his stylistic. Uh, ability is, is absolutely astonishing in this regard. Yeah, his jazz um, harmonic language also is, it mm. it shows up in a lot of the orchestral writing as well. You know, yes. there'll be, I mean, he's drawing from that too, because that's a, that was a big part of his um, early career as well. Before wrapping up, Grant, I want to touch really briefly upon a couple of projects that you did with John, non-film projects. I mean, one of the is the arrangement of Over the Rainbow that you did uh, for the Heartbeats Foundation was called a kind of a charity, something like that. You did this mm -hmm. recording and you did an arrangement of Over the Rainbow that John came in to conduct <laughs> for you. Yeah. So how, yes. how that went? I mean, was it just a, a gift that he did for you and... and well, I had written the arrangement originally for Lynn Harrell, great cellist who just passed away mm, yeah. um, last year, and Christine Brewer, who's a great soprano, very big voice. But so it was for Christine Brewer, Lynn Harrell, and myself. So we did this on piano, and it was going to be for the album. And then Helen Nightingale, who was spearheaded that foundation and also was married to Lynn Harrell. And she's also a brilliant violinist in her own right. She said she produced the album and she said, it, it would be great if you could write it for, for chamber orchestra, like a small orchestra. Maybe we could do it at Sony and maybe John would conduct <laughs> because John was a friend of Lynn Harrell also and Helen, you know, they knew each other well. 
Um, Helen had played in John's section for years yes. and years and years as a violinist and still does. You know, I mean, she just, she just, she asked him. <laughs> she just <laughs> asked him if he would be willing to do it. And he said, of course, I'll do it, yeah. you know. And he wanted to see the music ahead of time and see what I had. He had a couple of, he had a couple of, um, I want to say critiques, but just some ideas, you know. Suggestions. He, he wanted to run by me suggestions, <laughs> just some suggestions. So we talked about it and he said, boy, it would be great. Maybe, maybe you don't need the strings here. Maybe it could just be winds for this. But, and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's, I'll do that. I love that. That's great. So, yeah. So he always has suggestions. So. So that's how that happened. And then recently uh, for Lynn's, um, Lynn, the Lynn Harrell's uh, memorial uh, concert that was given in LA at Royce Hall. And Sophie Mutero was gonna, was gonna play and um, Helen Nightingale again suggested, she said, can you write it for violin solo? The same arrangement. So basically she goes, maybe just, just write it for violin. But then as I started to like write it for violin, I was like, well, the violin can't just do what the soprano did and it can't be in the same key and it can't, I can take, keep the same basic framework of the arrangement, but I need to, uh, it needs to be more violinistic and more, you know, for Anne Sophie and to give her something interesting to play. So, and that also John conducted. Yes. John conducted and it was, it was a, it was absolutely gorgeous. I wasn't able to be there to hear it, but I saw the video and, I think uh, it was just a couple of weeks before he went to, to Berlin, I think. Yeah. That's absolutely wonderful. And and it was so nice also to meet you in Berlin. You were there too to attend John's concert. So Yeah. And how, how it was for you. I mean, I have my own consideration about that evening because I think it was absolutely an historic event on many, many fronts. Uh, but how it was for you, I mean, 
would you have ever imagined that John one day would conduct the Berlin Philharmonic or the Vienna Philharmonic and coming finally to Europe and being finally, I say, I would say, accepted by the musical Gotha of the classical music. Right. I, I didn't think at this point in his life that he was going to be doing much, much more like much traveling overseas like this. I mean, I think he was kind of I felt like he was kind of done once he had done all the stuff in London and everything like that. It was like, OK, that's that's enough of that. That's too much. So I was just, I was thrilled and I wanted to be there, witness it. And the thing the thing that I enjoyed the most was, I mean, these are all pieces that I know really well, obviously, over the years. But to sit and watch the orchestra, and I learned so much more about orchestration. I was there two nights actually, but that uh, those nights um, than I than I had before. I mean, I could just actually sit and watch and see who was playing everything, and just go, "Wow!" and look at that, and look at, "Oh, wow!" and the bass line is not just a simple march. There, they're they're doing this, and they're doing, and look at who's doubling this, and look, oh, that's like it was like I was just feasting on the orchestra and. I could have sat there for another two hours. I mean, it would have killed. It would would have killed John. But I mean, it would. <laughs> no, but like... but but the, the level of enthusiasm uh, you could see the faces of the musician. They were smiling like from oh ear my to god, ear. and the and string it... players were. They were my god. The physicality of those violins and the, yeah. the cello and the. I mean, they were just eating it up. They were just. The the, the, I mean, the bit from far and away, you know, when they go into the kind of jig playing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. fantastic. I mean, it was so fun to, to, to watch. I think that a friend of mine once said, uh, you understand better music when you see it performed. Also, yeah. Not just hearing it. It's so because, true. Because it's, it's, it, it opens up another, a whole another dimension. Yeah. Very last thing I want to ask you is about your, your activity as a composer. Because in the yeah. recent years, you, you worked a lot as a composer as well. Uh, I really love your music for that sh beautiful short film called Cello, which you oh, thank you performed with with Lynn Harrell playing the solo, and mm -hmm. Lynn was also actor in the movie in the yeah. film. Yeah, uh, you composed that superb a superb score in my opinion. Because what was thank that you. very very and again kind of in a way and I, and I say it as a compliment, kind of a John Williams C chamber kind of score <laughs> <laughs> i mean it as, as a compliment of course uh but w was that a very special project for you yeah it was it meant a lot to me i was i mean first of all i was um i mean helen nightingale also was the she was a producer on the project and she asked me to do it and i was so happy to work with lynn because he was just such an amazing talent and voice on the cello and um yeah i was thrilled to do it it was a fantastic opportunity and also fantastic. Um, I have a great memory from it, conducting at Sony.
actually John Williams came and he, he came to the session and was there for about an hour and a half wow. and came and listened. I asked wow. him if he would come and he said that he, and he said that he would, he was going to try and then, and he did. And he showed up and he sat there and he, and he listened and uh, we played back a couple of things. And one of the things which is on the album is called uh, Their Journey. And it's a violin solo. And he said, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, he goes, Echoes of Korngold. The wow. guy was like, he heard Korngold in part. I was like, there's some chromatic stuff. That's, you know, anyway. But, but, but it's absolutely, uh, I, mean, I mean, John always, as always, say it much more eloquently in a few, in a few words than, than I would ever be able to. But it's really a wonderful piece of music it's a wonderful composition in 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 all regard because i think it i i guess it was very special it, it, maybe today is even more special because of of course of lynn's untimely passing and and but it, it feels like it was a, a something very personal for everyone involved was also there working with you yeah he did that beautiful adaptation of the elgar cello concerto performed by lynn harold yeah bill is another great musician absolutely uh, i hope to speak with him soon and and it seems to me that you guys formed a sort of small community of musicians working together on many projects uh, with john williams but also with other people i mean you spent many years working with james horner and, and you know we all miss him so much and yeah it still hits hard thinking about him you know uh, and i guess for you even more absolutely um, anyway um what i meant is that it looks like the film music industry nowadays in hollywood is something completely different and perhaps musicianship is valued differently yeah than 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 before and and yeah you know i don't want to end on a sad note here <laughs> and i'm not necessarily saying that uh, now it's worse than it was or that it's bad you know it's just different but let's put it this way the fact that john williams is still among us working on new projects and new film scores uh, is something that really really warms my heart and and perhaps uh, make me look at the future with much more positivity <laughs> because he still inspires a lot of people. Yeah, well, I, I will agree with that. 
I absolutely do. Randy, really, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. It was really a truly fantastic talk for me. We, we learned a lot. And uh, I mean, I learned a lot for sure. And, and it was a real complete pleasure. Thank you very much for my pleasure for, for the time you spent with me. Thank you. Thanks, Maurizio. We'll speak soon.